We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. I just adopted a new best friend, and I'm looking for a Toyota so we can make the most out of summer. With a new RAV4, you can take your pup for a drive up the coast. You can take a Prius to the park. Or you can take a Tundra to kayak at a remote lake. One problem, Jan. Oh? My new best friend's a cat. Your summer starts here, but it all ends June 3rd. Toyota, let's go places. Dealer inventory may vary, so your participating Toyota dealer for details. Visit your Front Range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to DNVR Biz. Brandon Spano here. Hope you liked last week's episodes. This week, we are starting off with Jack Davis, CEO and founder of Crypt TV. These guys are really changing the game. They develop and produce and, and distribute these horror-themed digital pieces, if you will. I call them movies a couple times and series a couple times in the show. There's a lot of different things they do. They're doing a, they, they just sold a show to NBC. They do these shorts on, on Facebook. If you go to their site, they have like these 30 minute videos and in, in different clips and in movies. I'm using the, the term again, um, but they do all kinds of different content and it's essentially based around making digital horror content and it's really awesome um they've raised a ton of money we talk about that in here they have a ton of social followers and a ton of youtube subscribers and they're just really doing an awesome job so it's really you know what's really fascinating is that they're kind of doing what we're doing in the sports world to the horror world um they've got a they've, they've just built a really big platform and at this point, I think that they're starting to become really disruptive and they're just doing an amazing job. So uh, let's jump right to the interview. We're going to go to Jack Davis. He's the CEO and founder of Crypt TV. Um, I've actually gotten to know Jack over the last couple of weeks. Really good guy. He's actually a big Broncos fan. That's how we met. Uh, and so I think you're really going to like this. Let's go to Jack Davis, Crypt TV. Oh, one more thing before we jump into this i have to give you an apology in advance we did this on zoom i had a great mic plugged in and for some reason based on the settings i'm sure i did not it did not accept the mic audio so it was all 
recorded through my MacBook, and we tried to adjust the audio, uh, you know, as good as we could possibly get it from my side. And this is the best it gets. So you're going to be able to hear everything, uh, just unfortunately not with the studio quality that I'm trying to provide here on this show. But hope you enjoy it anyway. Thanks. Jack, welcome in, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for jumping on, brother. Brandon, I'm such a huge fan of the DNVR and of you and your team that I couldn't imagine the place I'd rather be right now. Yeah, well, we really appreciate it, man. We, we really appreciate it. Um, let's, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about what you've got going on, though. But before we do, because you guys have a lot of stuff going on, why don't you just give the quick kind of background of... Um, you know, kind of how you got started here and how you ended up in this kind of niche that you've kind of carved out yourself here and uh, created a market for. Crypt wants to be like Marvel for monsters. Marvel created a generation of iconic superheroes in the comic book because that's where young people were getting content. We've created iconic monsters on YouTube and Facebook because that's where young people are getting content. We have over three and a half million YouTube followers, subscribers. We've got 7 million Facebook followers. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. And we want to create the next generation of great monster IP. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, these incredible characters created in the 80s that have become, you know, as relevant as anything. We want to be creating the next generation of those. And we've turned our monsters into TV shows and uh, sold merchandise. And pre-COVID, we had them at theme parks. So that was fun. But unfortunately, uh, we've had a hit pause on that. And we've also just uh, used the fact that we have a really young brand, which I'm sure you can relate to as having a brand that, you know, audience connects directly to as a way to say, hey, we know how to make this genre relevant for an internet age. Because, you know, even if you're not putting stuff on the internet, it's the internet age. So we're rebooting classic IP like 13 Ghosts with Screen Gems and putting the Crip spin on that. We just announced we sold the show to NBC of all places, which is, you know, we're so excited about. So, you know, we create our own IP. We make TV, we make movies, we have an online audience, and, uh, you know, it's really, we're the only players uh, in this space, and I think that gives us a big advantage, uh, hopefully moving forward. You made a lot of news because you guys ended up kind of becoming one of Facebook's first entertainment slash kind of movie plays if you will, and correct me if I mess any of these up. Yeah, we have um, a, a slate television deal with Facebook Watch. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, like, t walk us through like what it's like to get on the map and then and then close a deal with Facebook. Like, did you guys pursue this? Was there a connection there? Did they come at you? Um, like, who did you have to deal with there? Like, you know, everyone, I mean, I think you see Facebook and you just think this this big juggernaut that swallows everything. Um, so it just seems like to me, like you own, you know, you're a CEO and founder that has like successfully sold a product to Facebook. Um, you know, had them buy essentially content from you um, without swallowing your world. It seems yeah. impressive. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. What I would say is we sold the user. Uh, Crypt launched in April 2015, and this is just when Facebook was kind of getting into the video game. And, you know, at the time I looked at a crowded marketplace, and my advice to all entrepreneurs is, do what you can do best. You know, if you're trying to play on other people's turf, it can be hard. And 
you know, I happened to be starting this company then and I'm like, hey, we should launch on Facebook versus YouTube just because I thought there was a lot of open space and Facebook was just starting. And Facebook has wonderful interest targeting tools. So when we launched in April 2015, we were one of the first people saying, hey, we're going to build a native video brand to Facebook. And we were able to really target genre fans uh, when there wasn't a lot of scary, you know, short videos on the internet. And there wasn't uh, a lot of companies that were doing just Facebook video. So that allowed us to have huge growth and really have a big community on Facebook. And the reason I like Facebook as a platform is it really allowed us to build a community and that kind of, you know, relationship with the consumer for our brand. So that was the origination of the relationship. The origination wasn't just that we, you know, um, had relationships with executives, which we do and love people now, but it really started as we built a big community and got big traction on the platform mm. with original content. And I think when you look at Facebook's uh, benefits and some of their strategy, they want to build communities and we just created a unique community around scripted content. So that's what really led to the conversation starting. And of course, since then, as you allude to, we've built a, a wonderful relationship, but it all comes around the fact that we had built a community first on the platform. Yeah, I love that. So let's just drill down into that. So I think that in media companies, there's a lot of different categories and layers to this, but if you just dumb it down, I think there's media companies that are looking for the most people. Um, in my world, that's like a Bleacher Report or an ESPN, and, and you're just trying to swallow the numbers, essentially, right? It's all about page views, impressions, video views, whatever. And then you have media companies that are all about getting the right users. They're looking for a specific person. This is a lot of uh, lifestyle plays. These are uh, membership plays. That's like what we are, right? So, so we're not for everybody, and we're totally fine not being for everybody, but we know that if we... if if the people that we are looking for find us, that they're going to embrace us, be here for a long time. The LTV is really large, so on and so forth. Uh, so I hear kind of a little bit of both, you know, from you here, you reach a large audience, you're making this for a large group. Is there levels to this that you monetize differently for users or how do you look at, at, at user conversion here and adoption? Yeah, it's very well said. I think that what you what you said is so important, Brandon, because you have to know what type of business you're in. And to your point, you have to know the different pay tiers. So what I always tell entrepreneurs is know what your best business is, right? Know what you can do better than anyone else because it can be very easy to focus on the signaling and the noise around your business versus what actually drives the business and what drives your users to make different decisions. So we have a TV business. Now the TV business, is partly built on the fact that we have our own IP, that we understand this audience, but a TV business is selling content to someone else, right? We sold these shows to Facebook. We announced last week, we sold the show to NBC. We're gonna have more announcements like that coming out. So when you're making a TV product, um, you know, we feel like, look, we're trying to tap into the genre audience, which is really loyal, but any TV buyer wants everyone to watch their show. You know, they might want, uh, you know, your specific audience, they might want to target something that's young, something that's female, something that's old IP. But any TV uh, you know, network, you know, NBC, they're speaking to a lot of people. Facebook's speaking to a lot of people. So in the TV side of our business, we're selling a product to buyers who like that we're in this genre, who like that we have a community, but they also really love this specific creative. On the more advertising part of our business, because we have an ad business, it's the fact that we have you know, fans of scary content between the ages of 13 to 35 on the internet, right? All the movies studios market with Crip. We marketed Halloween and It and, you know, Quiet Place and all these movies. Um, obviously, it's been 
a bit of a slowdown in that business for now because movies are not coming out theatrically, but they're going to come back. That business will come back. And when it comes to that business, what we're looking at is, you know, the specificity of our audience. It's a blend between the fact that we can reach a lot of scary fans, but it's also the demographics, which is why those people have to come to us to advertise on the internet. And it's also, of course, the CPMs we can charge because we feel like it's super targeted. So that's kind of like, you know, a blend between reach and targeting. And then on the most granular level, when you're selling t-shirts, which we, which we sell and sell merch, I know you guys do too. Well, those are your highest converting users. And maybe if they buy a t-shirt, you want to sell them a Halloween costume. And maybe if you sell them a Halloween costume, you want to sell them a little pin because our community really likes wearing these little pins on their jackets to, uh, you know, different types of conferences or conventions. Um, and for that, it's a much specific, you know, part of your audience that you're converting at a high uh, LTV, like you said. So it's different tiers, right? It's different tiers. You just have to know what motivates different people in those tiers to interact with the business and make sure you're building that part of the business for the part of the community you're targeting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, do you guys do a lot of paid customer acquisition or? Not anymore. I mean, at the yeah. beginning we did just to kickstart us because like, you know, no one knew who we were when you're making video. Video has the chance to get widely distributed. And the best scary is as big as anything, you know, I mean, Halloween and Quiet Place are as big as Fast and Furious, right? So we know the best Gary can reach a huge audience, but you also have that core audience you want to cattle call. So I would say for the first two or three years of the company, the first two or three years, there was paid acquisition, but you're never going to live on paid acquisition. If your media company is living on paid acquisition, you probably actually don't have a media company. And even if your CPG product is living on paid acquisition, like, you know, chickens are going to come home to roost eventually. Totally. Right. So... It was important for us in the beginning, but we have not done that uh, basically at all. I mean, maybe here or there, there's something you want to push to people a little harder, but we haven't basically done that, done that at all over the last uh, few years, and, and I certainly don't see us doing it again. It was useful to get the audience off the ground and get the awareness up, but then either people are going to you know, come to you or not. You know. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, yeah, I, I really love that. Um, are, are how much data are you guys able to pull? Um, you know, this is just uh, so foreign to me. I think you, you put out these long form, um, you know, movies and videos and shows and and all of these different you know uh, kind of products that you have. Um, you know, what does that look like? Do you follow IP addresses and and are you trying to get? You know, do you like, is there a success rate if people watch multiple of these or get so far yeah. into a series or like, like, how do you, how do you measure all that? That's a good question too. I mean, so again, you get different data depending on the interaction, just like we said, the different interaction of the business, right? 
Um, so, you know, someone buys a t-shirt, you have more information on them yep. than someone who just watches a YouTube video, but you have different goals, right? Because we kind of know on average how many YouTube video watchers are going to convert to t-shirt buyers or convert to our website. So you kind of want to push them both, right? So the, you know, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, they don't give you data. They give you insights, right? They give you insights. You don't own the data. Maybe they show you data, but you don't own the data, right? It's their data, right? Um, but we also have insights in terms of how you need to make the first 90 seconds of a video pop, of how even in a 25-minute video, the first 90 seconds, what that means for bringing people into the ecosystem and, um, you know, ways that you can optimize the thumbnails. You know, the thumbnails for us are so, so important um, because, mm. you know, we're making monsters. We're trying to get people excited with the visual. That's cool. Uh, and then, you know, there's different user behaviors and patterns for people who are buying a t-shirt, right? But we have also owned that data because, you know, those are people who are buying through cryptv.com. So it's different depending on what the goal is, but these things are intertwined because we know more people watching YouTube videos, more people are going to have a chance to buy shirts and more people buying shirts than then someone in our ecosystem that we could target again uh, for maybe a different product or a different launch or something. One thing that I found really interesting that I wanted to talk to you about was a parallel that I think we both have um, in different ways. So for us, uh, we talk about sometimes how edgy do we want to be? Um, how family friendly are we? And we have some products that we want to be really family friendly. So for example, the team specific podcasts, a Broncos podcast or an avalanche podcast that's daily. We want people no matter where they are, no matter who's in the car with them, no matter what to be able to listen to that because we want to compete directly with sports talk. Now we have other shows like Matt McChesney Unchained um, or Big Drive Energy, our golf brand. Um, and we let those guys just kind of go off the rails and do whatever they want. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we look at the brand and say, you know, do we want to be, we don't necessarily want to be, for example, barstool, right? Um, so we need to make sure that we keep it, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to be super snobby media, but we want to button it up just a little bit. So now I, I just want to kind of lean that up against your brand. Is there a point to where you say, okay, we do horror, but you know, we don't go that far. Uh, do you make yeah. Different I levels. think that's a great question because, you know, what you put out every day builds who your audience sees you. For whatever it's worth, as a the DNVR fan and as someone who listens religiously to every DNVR Broncos podcast, yeah. I mean, I don't – they put out, like – those guys are working, man. They put out, yeah. like, 20 podcasts a week, it feels like. But I listen to them all. Yeah, yeah, one um, a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shame that right now I have to hate listen to them because I hate the Broncos right now. But, <laughs> but that's kind of the point, right? Those guys help me get my frustrations out in a way that I wouldn't be able to through the Denver Post or DenverBroncos.com or through CBS, right? Like, I mean, I can really resonate with those guys. And when Conisberg and Andrew Mason and Zach, like, sound pissed, I'm like, fuck yeah, you're pissed. I'm pissed. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm going to use that point because it's a personal story for me about your company, but it's about that I can feel these emotions these guys are feeling and it makes me bonded to them. Okay. So when Chris looks at it through scripted content, you know, it's that same idea of how can we make sure that we feel like we're representing our audience's emotion on screen and taking those insights and putting the audience on screen. And that goes to you to know who your community and brand is, right? Crypt started making more gory content, but then we moved away from that. We don't want to just make all this gory stuff and we want to tell more emotional stories and have scary 
be a vehicle for talking about deep issues and emotions in a way that can be, you know, fantasy and fiction, so it can be exciting. And um, on the uh, on the other side of it is, you know, we do a lot of commenting, right? You know, we're getting millions of YouTube views and comments all the time, and we are responding to those comments. We're building with our community. So I would say a lot of the way the brand is viewed isn't just in the content, but it's in the way you respond to people on Twitter, the way you respond to people on sure. YouTube, the way you respond. And for that, we take a really kind of like, how can we be funny, but caring? And again, building a community. So I think your community is through everything you do. And I don't think that, you know, I think you guys are right to be the DNVR because that's who you are. It doesn't mean Barcelona is wrong to be Barcelona. It's just you have to know who your audience is and you got to speak to them real. Because if you speak to them fake, you can't be fake on the internet. That's why the ESPNs of the world are losing. That's right. that's when you right. try and have eight different people decide on how to say one thing, well, that's, that's when it makes no sense. Totally. On the actual content side, though, is there a limit that you guys will go? In the past, the horror genre has, there's a lot of levels there, right? There's some stuff that was like, oh my God, that was the goriest, most intense horror movie I've ever seen. And then there's, you know, um, like one of the books we used to read, I forgot what that series was, uh, you know, uh, or Goosebumps, right? Which is like very, so, so how do you look at that in the actual creation of content as far as how hardcore you go in the horror genre? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I think it really depends on the IP. Again, we want to be accessible. We'd like to have our stuff live PG-13 if possible. To sure. Okay. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah. what you're, that's where it is. It's kind of sits at PG-13, right? You want, you want it to be kind of consumable for the widest audience. You're not necessarily looking to go into some, you know, super horrific. We, we, we are, ha look, I'm not saying we'll never stuff that doesn't live in rated R. Sometimes we'll make stuff that does live in uh, PG-13. PG. But PG-13 is really the place we want to be. That's interesting. That's interesting. I want to talk about uh, raising money, right? Um, and, you know, I, it's, it's such an interesting thing. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people ask me questions about it. And, and there's so many levels to this. So um, I guess, you know, walk us through your philosophy on on fundraising uh you've been successful at it you did a 11 million dollar round right um, uh, we, did, we did three rounds okay add up to 11 in total okay 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 um so so like how, how do you look at uh, I, I, I guess, you know, instead of me kind of phrasing it, why don't you just walk us through kind of your philosophy and how that happened and how that worked and, and how you do it? I think, you know, you always have to be careful with fundraising to realize that fundraising is the means to achieving your goals as a business yep. and raising money in itself does not make your business successful. And that's not the end goal of the business. You know, the job is not to raise money. The job is to raise money to serve the business's growth purposes or to align it with the appropriate investors or to give the business a certain optionality or maybe the business a chance to take risks. So I would say that was my approach. Uh, my approach was what's the right amount of money this company needs? What are the types of partners this company wants to align with? And how can this, um, you know, VC is essentially growth capital, right? How can this growth capital actually contribute to growth? Because the goal is to eventually not need more growth capital, right? Um, so, you know, the first round was just getting the company off the ground, not a ton of thought into it. Um, I mean, you had to execute it, but 
you know, you really start to learn when you're, uh, for me, I started to learn in 2000, in, it was uh, Q1 2017, when we raised three and a half million from Lair Hippo, Advancing Capital, and NBCU, and Blumhouse, uh, who's a, uh, a, a company who does Get Out and Split, they're like the biggest ever and scary, they had been our angel. And then I raised 6.2 million from those same investors almost exactly a year later in February, 2018. Um, why did I keep all those same investors? A lot of people say diversify your cap table. They had been great partners and they knew the business. And there's something to me about bringing in people for another round who've already been in, who know the business, you know your working relationship. Obviously I have a great working relationship with all those folks and really love and respect them because you know, we brought them back in. And you know, we haven't needed to raise money since then, um, which is great. And uh, the company has no plans to raise capital. And I bring that up just in the context of the goal of raising money is to get to a point where you don't need to raise more money. Be careful of ending up on the treadmill. And when you are raising money, understand that everyone's money is green, but these are people, when they're on your cap table, they're your partners in the business, no matter what, right? You know, everyone's money is the same, but everyone's personality is different. If you want to be a successful CEO, you want to be as aligned as possible with the people on your cap table. And I felt like I had folks I was really aligned with. And I'm lucky to say years later, I still feel that way. Yeah, that's really awesome. I mean, to me, that's the way to go. I think that you want to, especially if you can get money early from people that you know, if you produce, can just come back in and continue supporting your growth. Uh, to me, that just seems like the perfect marriage. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've felt very lucky to have the investors I have. And uh, I think because I never tried to raise too much at two crazy valuations, it allowed me to just focus on what's the dynamic with investors within the company. And once you have a dynamic, it's easier to understand what the dynamic is. And for some people, maybe you want to bring in more people and that's great. But for me, I felt like we had come to a working dynamic as a group. I understand how people look at the business. They've been around it. They've been part of it. And, and, and that's just what's worked for me. The, the one thing I, I, and you were probably told this at some point, or you probably, you know, talked it over with your team. Um, did you ever feel like you may not, that, that maybe like taking investment from a strategic could put you into a, a, into a corner at some point later on and that, you know, maybe that um, ends up, you know, narrowing your acquisition opportunities later or something like that? I mean, it's certainly possible. I think that's kind of like, you know, you try to make the best uh, judgment in that moment. Um, you know, you never know where things are going to go. I, I think it can go both ways. People can bring in strategics that way lever up their business. People can bring up strategics that end up painting them to corners, like you said. So, you know, with NBCU and Blum, we considered at the time, but they really have been such good partners that what's put me at ease is their actions within the business, right? I would love to tell you I knew when we took the investment, but when you take the investment, you're taking a leap of faith. And so, you know, it could have gone either way. For me, it went a way that I'm happy of and, and would do again. Um, but I'm sure for other people can go the other way. That's kind of just, you have to look at the actions of that investor when they're courting you. And I would also tell founders, don't be afraid to have investors impress you. You know, it can be easy to think like, how do I impress investors? Because they have that money that I want. But you got to make sure that uh, they share your vision. And if you don't value yourself in that process, they're not going to value you moving forward. Yeah, you know, I want to just um, briefly touch on talent. Um, you know, it's, it's such an interesting thing right now because, uh, you know, uh, the way I look at my industry is we compete with a lot of traditional companies that have 
that are kind of forced to be in this world. And I know that that's, that's your life as well. You have this company that is intentionally and deliberately creating content for this new digital world. And you're competing with companies that are kind of forced to also do this because that's the way it is. But if it was up to them, they would rather just throw some stuff on TV forever. Um, so inside of that, you're hiring talent. And, you know, for us, we really look for people that want to be on this side of it, want to be in this world and want to be digital creators, not necessarily like reporters. Is that the same in your world too? Are there people that you find that you're like, wow, this is a person that's really going to understand the way that crypt is doing this to really understand that, that, the, the that's so way. well said and i think that's the big differentiator for picking partners you know as the world is changing you have to work with people not just talent but employees you have to have your own mind investors who believes that this is the future again i'll use your business as an example because i'm an unbiased observer um you know versus my business which i obviously i think i'm doing it right but i'm biased um you know i follow obviously a lot of people on bronco's twitter right and, um, you know, I've seen before some of the more established big J journalists uh, subtweet, as they say, yep. your guys. I've seen them kind <laughs> of like crap on your guys. And it's funny because to me, it's just so out of touch. Yeah. Um, first off, yep. what are you doing? Picking a Twitter fight? Are we in high school? And then second off, hey, uh, you know, you're sitting there acting like you're so professional because you're tweeting like very detailed play by play of what just happened. I'm watching the fucking game, dude. I know what just happened, right? Like, I'm aware that we just got four yards. What I want is the emotion. I want the frustration or the, you know, exhilaration or the happiness, right? And I think Konisberg and Zach and Mason do great analysis, by the way. I'm not trying to take away their analytical yeah, skills. Right. It's just analysis from the root of being a fan, right? Which is way more relatable. So I tell that story about your business and then relate it back to mine of, I completely agree with your point of, you got to have people who want to play in the future. If you're getting dragged to this space, if you're getting dragged to this mindset, you'll never actually succeed. So when we're working with a writer, a director, we're hiring someone for the company, an investor, whoever, they have to be excited about our mindset towards the world. Cause obviously we think we're trying to get ahead of things and it's going to show through if you're not excited to play in this domain, it's going to show. And the audience is very hard to lie to in this day and age. Yeah, I love that. Have you had people over the years that you hired, you were excited about, and it just turned out that they were kind of always trying to get to the oh, traditional big I guy? With anyone. I think that yeah. happens with anyone. And I don't yeah, it's happened to us too, yeah. Yeah, I don't begrudge those people. It's just like, that's why I tell that story. Like, Yo, you really got to be about this life. Yep, you totally. want the badge of, you know, big brand that's been around for 50 years, which some people really value, and that's certainly their right. We're not the place to be right? We want to be the pirates who take down the big companies, right? We want to replace the big companies. We're trying to build a new brand. And if you have this, you know, reverence of the old brands, I'm not saying it's not good to respect the old brands or respect what they've done, but we're trying to knock them off. So if you're not thinking about knocking them off, how are we going to succeed with you, you know? That's awesome. Um, let's real quick jump to uh, just goals of crypt, like what are you trying to do right now? Is it about 
putting out the most uh, you know uh, amount of products that you can uh, diversifying that product lineup so you can reach the most people or are you trying to double down on what you have and 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 you know get users to a higher level like what's the goal right now at crypt i mean right now we have some really great tv projects we're working on you know we just announced on friday we have a show with nbc okay. um piles so we're getting that show on the air i would say is, is a huge goal you know we're always trying to think of how can we bring in new monsters to our universe and create great new content and then how can we grow the existing ones so i think we have some really fun partnerships we're about to announce um, where these partnerships uh, really are a unique way that our monsters are going to reach more people and people can see our monsters outside of just YouTube. Um, you know, maybe in video games is what I would hint towards. But, you know, Man, let, so you know, cool. Um, How do you create a monster? Do you have a team that you're like, these are, these are the three people that create monsters for Crypt? Yeah, like, it's, like, a, it's a combination of our internal team and then those filmmakers. You know, you can't ever replace the specialness of a filmmaker and the filmmaker putting their stamp. Oh, so, um, cool. so we try to use all that data at our disposal and all those insights that I talked about earlier and the fact that we do have an audience so we can try to launch something to, you know, launch something to success with the fact that, uh, you know, you need that filmmaker's original spark and what these creators come up with, uh, you know, it's just incredible what creators come up with and you can never replace that inherent creative spark. So we just try to add to it with our infrastructure and team. I love that. I, I talk about my company as a record label all the time. And what I say is I'm not here to make the music. I want to, I want to just hire as many artists as I can put them in an environment to where they can just create and not worry about anything else. I'll monetize it. I'll distribute it. You guys just go out there and make the coolest shit. Uh, how close is that to what you're doing at Crypt? I, can, I feel very, I feel very strongly that that's a great, great analysis right and we're just trying to tap into it we're trying to tap into it with our uh insights with our youth leaning brand we're going to try and give you tools but it's we're giving you tools we have to let these artists drive their vision because if they don't we got no shot so we're trying to make it a better experience give all of us a more likelihood for success but you know it's not just oh we could do it by ourselves without those artists original insight and original involvement in it it's not going to go okay final round here is we got just a couple minutes left before you got to get out of here so uh here we go you got three questions and you're not prepared which is great so let's see how you do uh most important book of all time to you uh never split the difference by chris voss oh, negotiation book yeah. and um it's a negotiation book but it's a life book because life is a negotiation and I just love that book and I, I read it early and then it's kind of gone to kind of fame and, and, and I think it deserves that fame it's gotten. Yeah, it's an outstanding pick. Most underrated athlete of all time. Well, I'm going to pick a Bronco just because we happen to be on the Broncos podcast. So for, maybe this is the most underrated athlete of all time. But again, we're talking Broncos here. We're Bronco guys. So I'm going to say Rod Smith. Oh, that's really talked about that's in that he's not talked about in that 90s era of receivers of Chris Carter and you know those type of guys but I mean the dude was incredible really gritty um I mean you know really made that offense go you know the offense only really started to go when and he put up great years post Elway people forget he did. Um, the team yeah. kind of had fallen off a little 
but he was putting up good years with Gus Farratt and Brian Greasy and stuff. So I believe he did. A, I believe he had a hundred catch plus year, a couple of them um, post Elway with like Brian. And Greasy. again, they lost weapons too. He went from having Ed McCaffrey and Terrell Davis and, and Shannon, Shannon Sharp, Sharp. Yeah, yeah. to having you know. Ashley Lalee and Jeb Putzier and, you know, <laughs> the rotating cast of Ryan Torian and Mike Bell and Tatum Bell. And he was still putting up numbers. Uh, man, you're, you really are a big Broncos fan. You're real, real. I know. Broncos that's why I'm so tortured. <laughs> Last one, the most excited um, business or space that you're, the, the business or space you're most excited about in the near future. It's a good question. Um, I would say I'm really excited. I'm going to, again, just going to, flip the compliment to my host um, and to you and say, I'm really excited about your space. I'm excited okay. about what the DNVR can do. Of course, I'm most excited about Crips. That's how I spend my day. But, you know, I'm most excited about your space um, because I think that the last thing holding up the cable bundle was sports. And now that cable bundle is breaking apart. And, you know, I really respect the Max Kellermans and Stephen A. Smith, but that shit is over, yeah. right? Over. That's right. And now we're going to see really the rise of local talent, and we're going to really see a much more colloquial sports world. And as a huge sports fan, I'm having more fun being a sports fan now at age 29 than I was at age 15. You know, maybe that's embarrassing. Maybe I should focus on more things at age 29 than on age 15. But, you know. The fact um, that you're only 29 and you reeled off those Broncos players is even more impressive. Dude, I could sit here with you for 10 hours and we can, you know, walk through the you know how we haven't had a t left tackle as good as matt lepsis and how matt lepsis was better than than uh, ryan clady and how i wish that tom nalen was still here and <laughs> don't make me keep don't make me keep going and talking about how frustrating the lenny walls cornerback era was when he had no <laughs> movement. you didn't I like the darian gordon era <laughs> no i mean darian was actually really good i mean i really just like you know, I don't know. I'm going to look, I'm on this thing. So if you, if your DNVR boys are listening, I just want to say that I'm a huge fan and I'm, and we got to get Elway out of here, man. The guy is just not done. <laughs> hasn't done it. It's over. Oh, yeah, it's down the well We've now. never built a good offense under Elway. Oh. He deserves all the credit for Peyton. He got Peyton to show up, but then Peyton built that offense. Cause clearly Peyton built that offense. Cause we haven't seen Adam Gase do anything after he left Peyton. But anyway, I'm really excited about your space. You know, I think that I'm having more fun as a sports fan now than ever before. Because I feel like I'm talking to my friends. I've never met Ryan Konisberg. I've never met um, other uh, people I follow. I'm a Lakers and Dodgers fan because those are my teams in basketball and baseball. I've never met Chad Moriyama, who's a Dodgers sort of guy. But I feel so connected to these people. So I really love your space because I think sports at its best is community and entertainment. And companies like yours and personalities like yours are making it actually live to the virtues of entertainment community that sports is at its best. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for the time. I had a great time. Awesome interview. Great stuff. Good insight, man. Really appreciate it. You just keep kicking ass at Crypt and creating outstanding content. Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to, you know, once this kind of crazy time is over, I would love to come visit the DNVR bar. Yeah. And again, I've, I listen to the pods so much. I listen to the ads because I want to support my local media companies or my favorite media companies. And you know that strawberry sky? Oh, it's uh, great. You know, I want it. I've never had it, but I already salivate thinking about it, you know? Yeah, so sure, hey, you, I, you should be able to find it in L.A., I'm sure, man. All the distribution they have down there.
Okay, well, then I'll, maybe I'll go take a look for it. But I uh, <laughs> love what you guys are doing and all the, and all the kind feelings are mutual, my friend. Thank you so much, man. Hey, talk Thanks, to you buddy. soon. Yep. Yo, Nas, you ready? Ready when you all pray? Yeah. Freedom of jail clips inserted. A baby's being born, same time.